Hear the word of our God. But as for you, speak the things which are proper to sound doctrine, that the older men may be sober, reverent, temperate, sound in faith, in love, in patience. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not given to much wine, teachers of good things, that they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded in all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine showing integrity, reverence, incorruptibility, sound in speech that cannot be condemned, that one who is an opponent may be ashamed, having nothing evil to say of you. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God endures forever. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you are the God who speaks. That Christ, from his throne, through his spirit, has given us your holy word. And we thank you that all of it is profitable for us to correct and reprove, to train in righteousness, to make us fully equipped for every good work. Lord, some things are harder than others. We ask this morning that your spirit would grant us grace to hear your word and receive it. I pray that you would grant your grace to your servant to speak what is true And what is not, blow it away as chaff. And in all things, Father, may you receive all the glory through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. John 15, verses 18 and following, our Savior warns his apostles and us with them that we should expect the world to hate us. We shouldn't expect the, uh, the pat on the back for living for Christ. We, we want the pat on the back for living for Christ. But he says we shouldn't expect it. We shouldn't expect the world to give us praise because we're such wonderful people who love Jesus and live for him. Uh, I, th- I think it can be easy to read John 15, which isn't our sermon text, I, I realize. But uh, John 15, we, we could read it and know that Christ is about to tell the apostles some of them will be martyred for him. And to take the whole thing about the world hating us in that sense and, and say, oh, yes, well, we, we know that it, it could be possible someday in our country that uh, we would lose our freedom of religion. And someday I might have to suffer because the world might hate me for Christ's sake. And someday I I might even go to jail or be martyred for Christ's sake. Maybe. I hope not. But maybe. And then we could just walk away from Christ saying the world will hate you and, and leave it at that. Maybe. Someday. 
But right now, deep down, I think we live sometimes as if we think that we can live for Christ, have his honor and the honor of the world. But that's not what Christ is telling his disciples. He's telling us that we are not going to receive something from the world that he did not also receive. They aren't going to reject him and accept us if we are living for Christ. What does this all have to do with Titus chapter 2? Well, of course, Titus 2, we are returning this week in the middle of this section to consider that the church in Crete is not free from cultural captivity. You have people, old men. No, no, Paul's nicer than that. Older men and older women and younger women and younger men and and servants, uh, all of whom profess Christ, and yet they need to be taught how to live. Why? Don't they just naturally know how to live? They're Christians. Or or isn't it getting in the way of the, the gospel focus, preaching Christ for Paul to take a tangent here and talk about what type of life you live? Isn't that, that's not preaching Christ, Paul, telling us, what type of people to be. You, you ought to focus on uh, the Gospels. The, we can have that kind of mentality when we come to a section like this. But Paul is instructing them that those who claim the name of Christ are under the kingship of King Jesus have to live differently from the world. To be countercultural. Or I like the positive way of saying it. Kingdom cultural. That's the calling of the Christian. And so Paul can say right here, indeed he says it a number of times in different ways, but in verse 5 he tells us that how we live culturally or counterculturally or kingdom culturally is at the very heart of how our witness to the world will be expressed. If we ignore these things, the word of God may be blasphemed. And then he says something similar when he's talking to Titus in next week's, Lord willing, passage to the younger men that they may have something to say against you when talking about the gospel if you don't live like this. See, see, The Holy Spirit in Titus 2 is telling us that that glorious gospel of the cross brings with it a gospel of the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his reign requires you to live not just however is right in your own eyes, but how is right in his eyes, which will be against what is right in the world's eyes. It's a difficult thing. We struggle with that. We struggle with such passages. Today's two verses are two of the most rejected, uh, written off, or outright hated verses in the Bible, in the church of our day. Not just in the world. In fact, the world doesn't have that big of a problem with it. They kind of like it. You can suppress the truth and unrighteousness about the gospel itself if you say, look at the chauvinism that's in the Bible. 
Well, that's great. But within the church, such verses are written off or despised. And the Holy Spirit, through Paul in the book of Titus, is calling us to something different. And today's verses, sisters, calling you specifically to something different. We'd better make sure we understand what it is that we're being called to. And what the older women are to teach the younger women is a whole life, a whole kingdom life in three areas, I think. Kingdom character, kingdom priorities, and I didn't know how to word the third one, so kingdom authority. But there might be a better way to phrase that. But kingdom character, kingdom priorities, and kingdom authority. Let's start with the character. We have three character traits put before us. that uh, The older women, you older women, are charged by the Holy Spirit to teach the younger women here. You can decide which category you're in. But either way, you have to know the points, don't you? If you say, well, I'm the younger woman, then you better learn it from someone. If you say, well, I'm one of the older women, well, then you have to know it well enough to teach it. And in fact, the language here uh, of the, the women likewise uh, teaching the younger or uh, showing, admonishing them has with it not only the concept in the Greek of, of saying it, teaching it, but also of living it. And we're going to see with the men next week, Titus is given the same command, live it out. So all of us need to think about these character traits. Kingdom character, three things, discreet, chaste, and good. Discreet, chaste, and good. Uh, Discreet is a great word that absolutely is countercultural in America. Not just in Crete. If you, if you, if you want to know what the opposite of discreet is, just turn on Facebook. And I hate to say this, turn on many professing Christians' Facebook feeds and read for a few minutes. We are not a discreet people. And the church in our day, like the church in Crete, we are prone to cultural captivity. Apparently, the young women of Crete in the church were not discreet. This has to do with the things we say. And we already noticed two weeks ago, whenever that was, that the older men and the older women both have this problem. The older women had a problem with being malicious gossips. A very uh, powerful, punchy way of saying it. Uh, but I think a good translation, malicious gossips. A- and the men, they, they, uh, they didn't have self-control. They weren't reverent. They, they weren't sound. In other words, they said all sorts of things without thinking, without controlling their tongues. The older women are to teach the younger women what it is to be discreet. That is, you could say, to control the tongue. The older men needed the command. The older women needed the command. The younger women needed the command. The the younger men are going to need the command too. But we'll get there. Uh, But discretion. 
As a Christian, we need to be aware of what to say and what not to say and when to say certain things. Some things are appropriate in some settings and not in others. And the younger women needed to be taught that by the older. Apparently, the older women weren't teaching it, weren't setting a good example, and so they need to. Kingdom character is a a character that is discreet, honorable might be a good way of talking about the way they talk. A discreet voice is one who has a, a sense of honor and dignity behind the words. Proverbs 31. That woman is discreet. We read earlier Proverbs 31, 26. She opens her mouth with wisdom. That's discretion. Think before you speak. In our culture, it might be men who have a worse time with this than women, not using wisdom with what we say. But apparently in Crete, it was the other way around. But we are all called as kingdom citizens to be discreet with our tongues. The Proverbs 31 woman opens her mouth with wisdom and discretion. Her Facebook page probably looks quite a bit different. And it probably has a lot less followers and likes. We'll just have to get over that, won't we? If, uh, if such things are important to you. Secondly, chaste. I, I like the translation pure better. It's the same thing, but we don't tend to use the, the idea of chaste. <laughs> Uh, uh, and we may even associate it with chastisement, right? Because it sounds the same and we don't use the word. So I think pure is a, a really good translation here. Pure character. And again, if, if you want to see what our culture thinks of purity, pull up Netflix. Or, or glance at TikTok. But I, I don't recommend glancing at TikTok. I don't actually know if TikTok's its own separate thing. But whenever it pops up when I'm on YouTube or something, I'm, I'm horrified. This is our culture. And it's a culture that doesn't praise you for being pure. It mocks you. It, it makes movies that make fun of the... I don't know, 20 years ago there was 40-year-old virgin or something like that. It's, it's a joke. To be pure, to live a holy life with self-control. What gets the likes is the perversion and the indiscretion. Apparently the women in Crete were really struggling, maybe giving in to daydreams of the lusts of their culture. Maybe getting a thrill out of a little flirtation while their husband was at work. She lives for the joy of now. And the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul to the older women, teach them instead to live a pure life now with their eyes on the things to come. Live for the joy to come. Reject the pleasures of Egypt. Proverbs 31 woman has this down too. Did you notice the kind of modest apparel she wears? We read in verses 25 and 30, strength 
and honor are her clothing. She will rejoice in the time to come. Charm is deceitful and beauty is passing, but a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. That's the pure woman. And she knows what to wear and for whom to wear it. Proverbs 31 doesn't explicitly say it's for the glory of God and for the pleasure of God, but that's it, isn't it? And then good is in our text as well. We have discreet, we have pure, and then we have good. And specifically good here in terms of uh, social interaction. And so that's why I like the translation kind here. Kind. We're going to come to some other words in this text that people take different ways, but it's quite possible for someone to be quite boastful and proud about being a homemaker, have a spotless house, everything's in its place, and to not have kindness. That's a problem. The Holy Spirit is saying that a kingdom character is one that is kind, gracious, to others, maybe even gracious to people who mock you for your purity and your discretion, people who uh, look down on you for how you understand your calling in life, whatever that might be. Proverbs 31 shows this woman on her tongue is the law of kindness. What a phrase. That, that is, her tongue is not only governed by wisdom and discretion, but her tongue, she's given it a law. I will speak no unkind thing. If only, regardless of man or woman, if only the church of Christ was known for such law of kindness speaking. <laughs> We don't have that in our day. Uh, again, just look on Facebook or watch a political discussion or reality TV. I actually don't recommend any of the things I've been listing, but if you, if you need to see whether or not our culture is kingdom-minded, just look at these things for a second and then turn it off and pray. The kingdom character is discreet and pure and kind. None of this will earn you, sisters, brownie points from your fellow Americans. I think, older women, that means you have a stronger priority to teach that it's worth it anyway. To live these character traits in a way that does not give the impression you regret living this way. And men, it means we have a calling to do what Proverbs 31 shows. To praise those who have these character traits. And exalt it when the country is not, when the church in our day is not. We need to be the voice 
that reflects scripture about kingdom character. Likewise, then, we need to, we need to praise kingdom priorities. And there are two kingdom priorities in our text. We read that she is to be uh, taught, admonished by the, the older women to love their husbands and love their children. Who needs that command? Well, maybe any woman who has a center for a husband for five minutes. Any woman who hasn't gotten enough sleep for a while because of their children or whose children after years of raising them are treating them horribly, which is pretty much any any woman with a husband and children. But I think the priority here actually goes beyond those of you who are married in this context to the younger women here, I think, includes you who are single as well. How does that work with a phrase like love their own husband, love their own children? Well, the their, their own actually isn't in the Greek. We've used it to help us nuance the translation a little. So let me give you a, a stiff translation. I'm not saying it's a bad translation. Let me give you a stiff translation. This could be translated husband lovers or children lovers. And now let me give you a paraphrase that I think might help us apply husband lovers and children lovers. We might paraphrase the Holy Spirit's words here as the Christian woman is to be a lover of marriage and a lover of family. It's a little broader, isn't it? So those of you who are single women are still drawn in to being taught this. Even if you never have a husband, you are still called to be one who is a lover of the institution of marriage, a lover of the institution of family, Obviously, if you are married, how does that get drawn out? How do you show that the most? By loving your own husband and loving your own children. But there's that broader aspect, loving what God has instituted. And our culture just doesn't. And too many in the church today don't. So that... If you're a woman, often even in the church, you're being taught that marriage might get in the way of your goals. And children might get in the way of your goals, your self-identity, your whatever the thing might be. And that if you do pursue husband and or children, it's in your time and in your way. Because in the end of the day, it's not out of a love for marriage or a love for family. It's out of a love for what you want at any given moment. For the record, men aren't any better. I'm, I'm not trying to say men are better here. The church today puts a low priority on the love of the institutions God 
has given. Instead, we have self-love. We even have sermon series. You know, drive around long enough. I'm sure you'll see it on a on a sign in town. New sermon series. You know, love yourself, self-love, self-esteem, whatever. You won't see it on our sign, I hope, uh, but but you'll see it. And the Holy Spirit's calling on us to have kingdom priorities here. That doesn't mean you can't have other things you pursue in life. You can't have a career that you're good at. Uh, But what's the priority? What's our priority? God has established these institutions. And we are to uphold that. We're, We're to love family, love children, not just look at them as nice trophies. Isn't that how so many treat their children in our day and age? You get the kids, you want to ignore them as much as you can until you have guests over or something. You pull out your, your soccer trophies from childhood and you pull out your children, which are your trophies today, and, and you show them off. But we're to be lovers of the institutions that God has given. And third then, kingdom character, kingdom priorities, and then kingdom, the one I had a hard time figuring out how to phrase, kingdom authority. And here we have the two most controversial in in the church itself. We have this phrase, homemakers, and we have obedient to their own Husbands, And in this instance, the their own is actually in the Greek. Their own husbands. Uh, which makes the first important point. That the Holy Spirit is not commanding, let all young women be subject and obedient to all men. And the Holy Spirit is not making the point, let all wives be subject to all people who are husbands. But that if you are married, you are subject to that husband. Still not popular, but it's important for us to see the distinction there. And a distinction that's important in Titus. Because remember, Titus in chapter 1 had been uh, uh, warned about his, his job of bringing down the false teachers. And the false teachers sneak into households. And in the parallel text in Timothy, those false teachers sneak into households and target the women. Yep, this happens in our day and age. Target the young mothers who are currently not going off to a job and we'll have a a women's group and here the false teacher will come in and get real close and have all this authority and influence or something like that. It could happen in a lot of ways. But there's a guard being put on that by the Holy Spirit here. He's saying, wives, you are not to be obedient to just any false teacher out there. You're to be obedient to your own husband. And then next week we'll pick up on what that requires from their their husbands. More than maybe a lot of us husbands fulfill or pursue as we ought. 
but uh, here it is their own husband. But we have these two phrases, neither popular in the church, homemaker and obedient to husband. Uh, Three thoughts on trying to think through the giving of these two commands. They are commands from the Holy Spirit. But what do they mean? The first thing I, I think we need to realize is that the Holy Spirit, especially with this word homemaker, the Holy Spirit is not demeaning women or giving men the right to do so. That has to be said, doesn't it? Because trying to apply this text in the history of the church has at times resulted in the demeaning of women as a whole and of the superiority of men in a sinful fashion. And we can have, therefore, a a negative view of the word itself, homemaker. (laughs) In the church today, do you think that's viewed positively or negatively more? Negatively, of course. And maybe some of you even struggle against that word. Why? Because it has all this baggage attached to it that isn't, isn't what the Holy Spirit's necessarily saying. In college, I, I remember a, a joke that I hope none of you men have ever said, but I'm going to say here. <laughs> the, the joke went something like this. Why did the husband buy his wife a white apron? So the dishwasher would match the stove. If you don't get it yet, think about it later. Isn't that the epitome? If you, if you get the joke. That's the epitome of what people think when they hear the word homemaker. Barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, never allowed to leave it. I don't know what's wrong with being barefoot, but... Uh, <laughs> Apparently that's a bad thing and uh, uh, a demeaning thing, right? The wife is nothing more than the husband's appliance to get something done. She's the slave in his castle. The Holy Spirit is not, and nowhere in Scripture, presents that kind of demeaning attitude towards women and we need to be careful that when we apply scripture we aren't misapplying it based on sinful actions of our fathers over the centuries we need to be very careful about that one of the results of applying sinful abuse of something to the term is that we may just decide to ignore the term altogether. And isn't that what's happened in the church of our age? You come to Titus 2, verse 5. Well, we know what homemaker means. It means an abusive husband chaining his wife to the house and taking away all her joy in life so she can scrub his floors with, uh, on her hands and knees like Cinderella or something. And therefore, what do we do with the text? Paul's a chauvinist. Moving on. But this is 
the word of God. So we need to be careful not to demean, misapply, misinterpret the word itself. The Holy Spirit is not demeaning women. If we have been mistaken in thinking that that's what the Holy Spirit's doing, men, he is not giving you permission to demean women. It's as simple as that. But secondly, the Holy Spirit is making a point about created authority. And that in and of itself in the church today gets the response, well, then that's demeaning. If you're saying that there's authority structure, then you're demeaning someone. So let's just be clear in Scripture, God presents men and women as equal in value and in worth. What did God say in the beginning? He said, let us make mankind in our image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them equal in value and worth. That's the problem. That's what was lost that led to this being misapplied for centuries. Equal in value and worth. But scripture does not leave equal in value and worth to mean no authority structure. Think about how that plays out in the home. I think all of us adults would agree that children should be under the authority of their parents. Look at our culture. They're not under the authority of their parents. What a great culture we have. We know better than to say authority is necessarily demeaning. Our children are image bearers. And our children have the same value and worth before the throne of grace as we do. But they still need to submit to their parents in the Lord, for this is right. And as we've taught in our homes, in our culture, and in the church culture, that all authority is necessarily demeaning and devaluing. Why are we so surprised when our children then say, parents are demeaning me and devaluing me and their authority is therefore wrong? In scripture, God gives authority structures. In the home, there are two orders of of that authority structure. There is the husband-wife Ephesians 5, Colossians 3, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. I think it's interesting that both Peter and Paul, they don't talk about all subjects equally, but they both have this emphasis, an authority structure from God, that the wife is to submit to the husband, the husband is to lovingly, self-sacrificially lead in the home. That doesn't mean demeaning And in the best instance, it's a beautiful thing. But our culture will never believe that. And the church in our day doesn't believe that. But the Holy Spirit here is showing us that there is this authority structure. There's an obedience required. And the young women need to be taught that because that's not natural. Not to our hearts. We don't want people over us. And so we need to have it taught to us. But then third, 
I think it's important to note that this authority structure, short of being something that's demeaning, is actually, a, there's a statement and an aspect of dignity in it. And here I want to I really tackle this word together, homemaker. Homemaker. It's not a bad translation. It, it's, a, it's a strong translation. That's why it, pretty much every translation has some version of it. But th- there are nuances that we might miss with this translation. The majority of Greek texts present us with the word oikouvrous, which is a compound. The first part of that is the word for house or home, hence homemaker. But, but the second half of that word in the majority of translations is the word for uh, keeper or keeping an eye on something. And so this could be translated keeper of the house. Why didn't we translate it keeper of the house? I don't know. To me, it seems a lot less potential for confusion. But uh, I'm not recommending we go out and change all our translations right now. But, but we do need to realize that nuance. That does nuance things, doesn't it? Keeper of the house. Compare that with 1 Timothy 5.14, which is a very similar text. Let me just read that verse to you. 1 Timothy 5. 14, writing around the same time in his life, Paul writes to Timothy, Therefore I desire that the younger widows marry, bear children, they're the kingdom priorities, right? Marry, bear children, manage the house, give no opportunity to the adversary to speak reproachfully. See how connected that sentence is? It even ends similarly. Don't give a reason for reproach. So it's clearly a parallel statement. And in that instance, instead of saying homemaker, Paul says, the one who manages the house. There's a, there's a feeling of dignity and respect behind that, isn't there? Keeper of the house. It's the kind of language you might use in the ancient world, of the steward of the house. And the steward in a a noble's house or in a king's house was actually a very honored position. Often it came, even in households that had predominantly slaves, usually the steward was a well-paid man. Someone who had a great deal of respect. And when that that uh, steward did his job correctly, the king could go off to war and not worry. And he could come back and rest from his labors without having to fix everything. It was a position of honor and respect. It was a position that it was not uncommon in the Roman world. There are multiple instances in in documents that show this happened, a a rich man would leave his possessions and his wealth to the steward instead of his children. That's the kind of position that was. We may not agree with doing that, uh, or want our parents to do it to us, but um, it's it's an important position. I, I think that's important for us to note. 
Because yes, the Holy Spirit is telling us something important here. And it does require self-sacrifice, sisters. What this means requires that you receive scorn from the world if you obey this command. It is going to mean that many fellow Christian sisters are going to look down on you for fulfilling this command. But it's important to know that the command itself is not to be a slave, but to be in a dignified position of honor and authority. Yes, the Holy Spirit says here in verse 5 that the, the wife is to be subject to her own husband, but under that authority, she is the one that has this amazing governance of the home. Think of the creation mandate. Let's say the man goes out and he exerts dominion. This verse is telling us that he can come home and know that dominion was exerted. Right here, today, in this home, the creation mandate was fulfilled while he was off doing it elsewhere. So, so we, even, sisters, those of you who are married and, and have jobs, you can fulfill this, can't you? And those of you who are full-time homemakers, I'm not saying you should feel demeaned by this. It's a dignified position, right? As you seek in your homes, if you're married with your spouse, to figure out what this means for your household. Husbands, you especially need to make sure that it's well understood that this is a dignified position of authority. And sometimes, as husbands, we might even show that by being willing to say something like, Saturday morning, I'm not at work. What do I need to clean for you? <laughs> you're, you're in charge here of the, the management of this house. Manage me for a little bit. That might be one way to show the, the value of what's going on here. Not, woman, I'm off on Saturday. I'm going fishing with the boys. Have fun cleaning the toilet. So it's a world of a difference, isn't it? And it's a difference that in Proverbs 31, we see in action. In Proverbs 31, this woman has the confidence and trust of her husband. That, that's a positive thing. In fact, the very introduction of that section, some of you might have noticed a footnote, says a woman of worth or value but there might have been a footnote in your Bible that said, a woman of valor. It's a little bit of a different spin, isn't it? Her, her worth is just as valiant as going into battle. Do we view it that way? Her husband has confidence and trust in her. He can be off serving as judge of the land, sitting in the gate, because he knows she's home. Keeping it. And if she's not at home, she's out selling stuff and managing this field and providing for these people and doing this other thing, all of which strengthens the kingdom priorities of the home. Astonishing. 
Read Proverbs 31. It's an amazing passage. And she sees to it that the needs of the household are provided for. Verses 15 and 21. And what is the result? What is the result of this homemaker? Her children, verse 28, call her blessed. Not beaten. Blessed. Why? Because clearly they see their father viewing her as blessed, not beaten. She's not whipped. She's not slavish at home. And the husband himself, verses 28 through 30, doesn't joke around with the boys about his dishwasher. He praises her publicly. The world will not praise any of the things listed in Titus 2, 4, and 5. The church today rarely praises the things that are presented to us in Titus 2, 4, and 5. So why pursue it? I know we're running long, but two, two very simple reasons for you sisters to have the boldness to be kingdom cultural here. First is right here in our own text. Pursue this in our culture despite the the mockery of the culture. Why? Because Titus 2 verse 5. So that the word of God may not be blasphemed. It's a kingdom issue. Or put it differently. The word of God not be blasphemed. It's a gospel issue. How each one of us lives our lives is a gospel issue. I was trying to think through, because it's hard, isn't it? How is it a gospel issue? (laughs) These things. We confess once a month as a church, Heidelberg Catechism number one. I am not my own but belong body and soul to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. Where's the line we draw on that? I am not my own, except... I think we all do that. We don't confess it. But we all do that. I am not my own, but belong to my faithful Savior, except on Fridays between 5 p.m. and midnight. Uh, except this one little sin I'm hiding in my life, I'm going to hang on to. Except I don't like Titus chapter 2. That's how it's a gospel issue. That's how it's that the word of God may not be blasphemed because it's a declaration that the gospel is the saving of my soul and the lordship of King Jesus who bought me with the greatest price, his own blood. But I think there's a a second reason, a second reason to pursue this even in our culture, despite what you will receive of scorn for it. Not only what the text says here, that the gospel may go forward, not be blasphemed, but here's a good reason too, sisters. If God commands this, it means it's what he takes pleasure in. And in 1 Samuel 2.30, God says, Those who honor me, I will honor. 
The culture will never honor Titus 2, verse 4 and 5. The church often doesn't. Those things pass. But the God who is eternal, immortal, all-wise, who will reign forever and ever, says, I will honor you if you honor me. Whose honor is most important? Let's pray.